Today, we're talking about Mighty God as part of Advent. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. The classic team has reunited. Molly is here. Woo-hoo. All hail Molly. <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> and Brian is here, who I was going to say like, yeah, Brian's been on the podcast loads. Um, and, but actually when Brian walked in the room, he's like, oh, I haven't done this forever. And I was like, oh, wow. I've kind this of... is my third appearance on your show. So it must have been that the times you were here were really memorable for me. <laughs> and so I feel like you've done it more. But, but you guys were teaching on Sunday. We're in the middle of Advent and we've been looking at Isaiah 9. And so you guys had another one of these divine, I, I'd say titles, but actually it's like attribute, character, like Isaiah's prodding at something that's true of God that we need to not just know about, like, oh yeah, that's in my systematic theology book, cool, but actually a way God's presenting himself to us in the circumstances of both Isaiah's time and Advent that we sit in. And so your title was Mighty God, which... I feel like one of you said the Hebrew. Oh, we both did, but he unpacked El Gabor. Okay. El Gabor, there you go, because I couldn't remember. Always fancy, if you can say the Hebrew. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, Brian, you were, uh, this is the classic, like we should have just pressed record earlier, but you were saying it's kind of interesting the parallel between Mary's sort of socio-political environment, Isaiah's, Actually, on Sunday, you, you were actually mirroring ours a little bit as well. So there's like three layers of, oh, wow, look how there's a similarity. Um, so what, like, what are the, talk to us about um, Mary's time, Isaiah's time. Yeah, so Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom of Judah, and they're under threat of the global power, the Assyrians. So there's this, there's this sense of unrest, and they've got a bad king named Ahaz, and there's just, you know, a bad man in the White House or the palace or whatever, right, yeah. and there's all this unrest, and there's this threat of a superpower coming in, which eventually the superpower of the Assyrians will come in and then the Babylonians. But And then when you fast forward into Mary's time, she's in Roman-occupied Israel. Mm-hmm. And so she's actually not even... They're not under the threat of a superpower, but they are actually under an occupied... They're, they're an occupied state. They're like even worse. Yeah, yeah. Even, even worse. And I don't know, I mean, the Assyrians seem historically worse than the Romans, but the Romans were crucifying people, so it's Yeah, it's the all Assyrians bad. were pretty brutal as well. Yeah. I think they had a wreck. They were pretty so, bad, yeah. yeah. Oh, so then, it, but it's interesting because part of the nativity narrative is a quote from Isaiah 9 about a people who are sitting in darkness, um, who are going to see a light shine. And so both in Mary's day, when she was hearing this incredibly difficult news, and it's incredible and difficult. Um, the The surrounding environment is also tough. So it's sociopolitically, socioeconomically, religiously tense. It's tense in every way it's tense today in 2021. Yeah, Politics, religion, um, the threat of a superpower, and what's going on globally and economically, it's all, it's all in both narratives, both Isaiah's day and Mary's day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Christians, if you read uh, like Christians writing about some of these verses, about the nativity, things like that, Advent, they often see the darkness of their own day and the need for hope mirrored in the story. Um, and, and I guess there's a sense in which, yeah, that's always true. Like we, we can be prone to get wrapped up in a narrative that's set by like our immediate circumstances and our immediate culture and it's broken, so it's it's never going to be particularly inspiring. It's always, you know, there's going to be some threat, some fear, some disillusionment, you know, all those things. Um, so, so there's a kind of, there's a trope of a kind of realization throughout Scripture here, um, where where that is true. But there's a there's a high point of that realization in the stark contrast between like but we thought God was going to establish a kingdom and, yeah, Mm. Assyria. And, oh, the king's coming, but the Romans are killing all the babies, you know, or just... And it's interesting. I I bet every Christian... I I want to know what you think about this, Molly, just to throw your question, Mm -hmm. keep you awake. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, is there a sense this year going through what we're going through culturally Mm -hmm. that 
it is like we should maybe highlight that in our awareness this year or is it just nah people just think that all the time that's just the way it is like we're not really that much worse Hmm. what do you think i think that there may be some external factors that contribute to a heightened awareness being that in the 21st century we have more access to more information and are maybe tuned in to what what is happening around the globe in a moment Mm -hmm. that makes it feel as though it's worse. Yes. When in reality, I think maybe things are chaos a large percentage of the time, but our ability to be tuned in and informed of the chaos on a global sphere and try, although I don't, I don't actually think we are capable of digesting it, but at least the attempt to digest that amount of information mm-hmm. feels like it's at our fingertips in a different way than it was then. Where, yeah, I, and, and I think what's particularly interesting about Mary that I don't think we in the 21st century are experiencing in the same way is she is experiencing, uh, like, she's hard-pressed on both sides. So from a sociopolitical and economic perspective, she's under Roman occupation as a Jewish girl, and then receiving the news of um, from the outside world appearing as though she's committed adultery when really she's being impregnated by the spirit. She's also like setting herself up to be at risk for within her own Jewish community. Leviticus yeah. twenty ten says that death penalty is required yeah. for anyone who commits adultery. That just got worse. So she's hard pressed on both yeah. sides. Whereas we in the twenty first century maybe are experiencing the tension and the um, tumultuous nature of the socio political and economic world, both local like both in the United States Mm -hmm. and around the world. But as Christians, I think maybe this might be a little bit black and white, but I think we think we have it harder than we do. Um, It it definitely has, it's harder to be a Christian, especially in the Pacific Northwest. um, But as someone from Europe, I got to tell you, it's so easy here. Yeah, it's, we're not (laughs) under, like the persecution is not something that we experience. And so I think, what I want, what I would want to highlight in the midst of Mary's situation that's different is that she's hard pressed both in secular culture and in her own religious community as yeah. well. Whereas we're almost finding like a safety in our religious community that she was not able to tap yeah. into. Yeah, ostracized completely. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you describe the modern world because there's a sense in which Mary, um, as she's like trying to contextualize what's happening to her. Um, reaches beyond just how her community is going to treat her, like the stuff that's on her doorstep. And like that Magnificat is full of like global promises about God's plan Mm -hmm. about creation Mm -hmm. and things like this. Um, And so it's like she's learned how to ask the right questions and and knows the context really well. Um, And I think that's a big challenge for us. But actually you're pointing at like our global perspective which actually it is like another layer of like there's another threat that's kind of unique to our time because of mass media and things like that where it uh, it's another way to fail to live in the right context mm-hmm. in the right story mm-hmm. you know if we're always trying to live out the sort of existential threats and worries and concerns of everything that grabs the headlines around the world you know is that really the reality god says it, like Engage here, be sensitive to these things, and that will help you understand what kind of life mm-hmm. you're you're leading, mm-hmm. right? Because um, you're right, we do hum and haw, what Christendom in the West hums and haws a bit about how hard it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always used to appreciate um, like Mike McDonald with Hear the Cry because he's now at the Bible Project, um, but he would he would go on trips around the world and do stuff and come back and just be really upset, and be like. I'm just fed up of Christians being like, oh, woe is the world. Everything's going down the toilet all the time. He's like, things are getting better. Loads of places. Like, there's progress. God's doing stuff. There's healing happening, mm-hmm. you know? It's, so it's just interesting. It's like, it is, I think you're right, like another way that if we're going to magnify the right stuff, right. be attentive to the right stuff, it's like, yeah, we can we can fail because we're, I don't know, obsessed about that thing tomorrow that we've got to face that's on our doorstep, but also mm-hmm. we can be distracted and mm-hmm. not live in reality another way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. no, didn't expect to talk about that insightful point. Mm. But let's talk more about Mary, who you brought up, because she's my favorite and your favorite. Mm-hmm. 
Um, not Brian's favorite. He's not Brian's favorite, clear. no. <laughs> Props to Mary, but not <laughs> yeah, on the favorite list. Mary's not his friend. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. That's okay. We can all <laughs> yeah. have different like favorites. Actually, I, he's one of my favorites. I think actually Joseph. Well, I guess Jesus, Jesus should be our favorite. Jesus is my favorite. Mm, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, Brian. <laughs> be that guy. Be that guy. The but Jesus I, guy. I actually think her husband, Joseph, is my favorite character. And then Mary is my second, second. most profound. Yeah. Hmm. It's be, and it's because of what Joseph actually when the angel so uh, uh, well this is all back to front now but when you explain how hard it is for Mary mm-hmm. which we should explain a bit more of because mm-hmm. you already alluded to um, and Joseph's like oh man like it's going down she's going down and I'm going down with her um, and the angel comes to him and doesn't say this is what's happening I want you to do this but all the angel has to say is don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Mm-hmm. So like Joseph's love for Mary and commitment to her was such that even though like the, the magnitude of betrayal he must have felt, of hurt, of pain, um, like there was a love there and a grace there that overcame that. Mm. I just think that's... Maybe it's because I'm a guy, so I can associate like a little bit more sure. on that side. Sure. So that sort of startles me mm-hmm. about Joseph. So I really love that. Yeah. But anyway, well, back to Mary. But but I do, <laughs> I mean, it is worth highlighting that uh, the amount of sacrifice, self-sacrifice it would have required to say yes to a situation like that, mm-hmm. despite what it would cost him, is worthy of being highlighted. So let's peel that back a bit for Mary and Joseph. Mm-hmm. Like if they say yes to what the angel's doing, uh, yes. yeah, the angel of the Lord coming, the Holy Spirit impregnating, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, I'll throw out one. So, like, on an economic level, right, to have a business, to support the family, things like that, uh, you know, no one's going to choose to do business with Joseph and the family. Mm-hmm. So, economically, they are going to find it hard, you know, make a meet, ends meet. They may, I, you know, get the equivalent of, like, redlining or something, you know, like, they're not going to get access to the nicer housing. And so... Just economically, like mm-hmm. just to do the normal things of life mm-hmm. will automatically be harder once they're tarnished with this sin of um, adultery. Mm-hmm. So there's one. And that's and that's a long lasting um, sort of reputation. Yeah. I mean, you even see it later in the Gospels um, when people like some of the allusions to the way they talk to Jesus is like, I mean if it was a Western film, you'd be like, you're the bastard son of a whore, mm. you know, but it's whatever the ancient equivalent of that yeah. is. But, yeah. you know, even like 30 years later, Jesus is still carrying that public mm-hmm. tarnish mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And I think that's maybe a, even a difference to highlight. I think that our culture, maybe, I don't even know how to maybe articulate it, but like does not, it, it, I feel like it shames people. We even use the language of cancel culture when you're, pretty public and 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 you do something wrong but there i think there's also a level of like eventually you can work your way out of restoring your reputation if you've done something bad most of the time people go through the pathways that's why they hire pr reps and all that stuff like there are pathways to restore reputation in a in a way that was not available to them because the culture that existed was an honor shame culture once shame was attributed to who you were, that's just kind of who you lived and what you lived for the rest yeah, of your life. It's incredibly so, hard to change yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're already like being hard pressed on both sides and coming, starting in poverty, continuing in poverty. There's, there's little to no hope. Let me put a summary sentence together. There's little to no hope for restoring a cultural identity out of that shame for right. both Mary and Joseph. So this is not just a, oh, for this time when you're yep. pregnant, it will be obvious that you've committed adultery. It is for the rest of their lives yep. that they will bear shame. And for and for my kids. Yep. Yeah. So yep. the thought wasn't in her head like, oh, it'll be hard for a while. Mm-hmm. And the thought in her head wouldn't have been, maybe it'll be all right. Mm-hmm. Like she knew she was saying yes to basically being socially damned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. What stands out to you, Brian? About, you know, the Mary that you're not really, you know, you don't really like her. <laughs> <but> <laughs> to like clarify, 
huge props to the mother of God. <laughs> and now we know why Brian doesn't say yes to coming on the podcast. He just gets mocked. <laughs> but what's something that stands out uh, yeah, to you about her and just what she fronts up to here? Well, I think there, it's, a, it's hard to understand what it would be like to be female in a patriarchal society oh, to yeah. the level that Mary was. Mm-hmm. And she was a young female. I'm, I think, Molly, you'd mentioned like 15, 16 years old. Um, we, we place her somewhere around there. And she's betrothed. And this is just a, on all fronts, like on her hopes and dreams for the future, having grown up. You know, we know that she was probably a peasant in peasant class because of the offering she gives of the turtle doves, which was yeah. the offering for a peasant that they could bring. When you said peasant class, I just had like the image of like a classroom, like she learned to be a peasant. And then I was like, oh, no, he means class as in the classes other way we mean of, yeah. class. Yeah. Just and, yeah. And there was. I mean, <laughs> although it's not that way in like Judaism, there was a little bit of a class system, like a caste system. Yeah, definitely. Um, not as explicit as in other countries in the world. But and so she was female socioeconomically on the lower lowest, probably lowest rung of the ladder. And now she's about to experience the beauty of marriage to an honorable man because the honor of Joseph shows up when he decides when he hears that she's pregnant, he's going to put her away privately. He doesn't intend to do her harm, Mm -hmm. but he can't marry an adulteress. Um, But he intends to do as as much as he can. And so she's sitting in this weird tension of, like, she's been given this beautiful promise of what is about to happen to her and what her future is going to look like as far as mothering God. But it's it's not a clean blessing. It's a messy blessing. And, And I think with Mary, she just with grace and with fortitude accepts a heavy blessing. Like, I mean, I don't know any female that wouldn't be honored to be the mother of God. It's the highest honor a female could receive in the ancient world or in the world, period, the global world. But it's also, it comes with a sword. I mean, there's there's this like cutting moment where she's saying yes to God and she's also releasing there's a lot of things that come with saying yes to God. And so her yes was a sacrificial yes, even though there's who would not think that's a beautiful honor and she's memorialized for all time and, and honored. Yeah. But that didn't come without lots of pain. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it makes me think of, you know, the everyone, all generations will call you blessed. And there's a sense in which there's a like the voice of norm of culture saying, uh, no, that's literally the opposite of what's going to happen, you know. And that's one of the sort of jarring, stark things about her. Like you say, like she's able to see things differently, yeah, yeah. hope differently. I think that she is like a precursor to what her son will establish in the kingdom of God. I think that you, I mean, Jesus delivers a beautiful sermon in Matthew five that says, blessed are the poor in spirit for Mm -hmm. they will like, like I think she is already catching hints of what this new kingdom will look like before her son has come into this world as like the one who will bring salvation, the anointed one. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I think it's just very, uh, beautiful to see her kind of preamble kingdom of God. Or even like the first will be last and the last mm-hmm. will be first. Mm-hmm. Like she puts her, she says yes to being last. Mm-hmm. And then, so she embodies this kind of upside down way mm-hmm. of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she refers to herself as a faithful servant of Yahweh. Like I think that her perspective is just, yeah, I think admirable to yeah. say like it, it truly nothing else matters as much as what God is asking me to do. And I think that's what I think we can all learn from in her faith is she's had, she has it harder than most and yet she's responding in obedience. Yeah. And that word faithful is another jarring word. And uh, because we would use the word literally of her as an adulterous unfaithful. Right. Right. And yet she's able to own this identity. I'm the faithful servant of Yahweh. Um, Yeah. And that's another yeah perspective thing mm-hmm. like that's not her aspirational identity it's not oh well a part of me is like that it's really true of her mm-hmm. but that's a truth she can only grasp if she sort of disentangles herself from 
one narrative and really inhabits what God's doing. Mm-hmm. And this is all in the midst of like the whole of culture is like amped for the Messiah to come. The Jews are like, oh, God, you promised someone would come, set us free, like let it happen, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's all, I guess it's also the, uh, this is like a terrible word. I was going to w- say like the way she resigns herself to it quietly. But sometimes there's like a bad way of doing that. But she she doesn't like throw a, I'm having the Messiah party, baby shower. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it just strikes me. I mean, to throw an, an angel came and spoke to me party, like, okay, fair dues. Like, you know, I'd be tempted. But with the whole culture amped for the Messiah to like let everyone know like this is what's actually you know it must have been well I say it must have been so tempting but she's that's that's why I, I find her so appealing mm-hmm. you know it's like that temptation that feels so natural I can't imagine her not having it mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem to be a thing for her mm-hmm. you know that she wants to protect herself in that way mm-hmm. um, and I'm not yeah I'm not even sure it's not like she would have to lie, kill, cheat, steal, you know. Mm-hmm. Like what terrible thing should, would she do to protect herself? But she doesn't seek to protect herself with some of the things that our minds might jump to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, her humility in like walking towards this, like, I don't know. Can we also mention, <laughs> amazing again, to draw on my side, I still give props to Mary. Um, Are you she, sure? she, she on referred you? <laughs> to 11 Old Testament passages yep. in one prayer. And they're not from just one book of the Bible. They're from a wide span, from everything mm-hmm. from Habakkuk to the Psalms to the book of Genesis and hailing to Exodus and Job. So it's pretty profound that this 15-year-old girl is able to, on the spot as she hears this news, proclaim from memory and intertwine that with a genuine prayer from her heart, so much Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. So you yeah. know, like, I mean, again, I don't I'm not like schooled in the ancient Hebraic treatment of 15-year-old girls in the peasant class, but I'm assuming she wasn't getting a stellar education. No. 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 But she must have been being raised in some kind of home. Yeah. Where I think you're right. It points were, to a family. Yeah, yeah. And she I mean, these were memorized pieces of scripture from, I mean, I couldn't pray like that to mm-hmm. just collectively in a moment. And and it's not even that long of a prayer. I think of how long I would pray, but it's densely packed theologically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she had the mental and spiritual acumen to put it all together in the prayer is to say, this was a, a special young lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, and a signal of how God is, because uh, this is, it's worship, but it's also prophecy like how mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is actually partnering with her to speak this truth. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I mean, you or I might be able to pray and like pull out a few scriptures to throw in there, but she's like weaving together the truth of scripture into a tapestry mm-hmm. and then putting it as this short sung prayer, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful sort of biblical theology of hope in a song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. she's doing so much yeah. but she's full full Bible nerd and yeah it must have and, and then you think about her family and the fact oh John the Baptist oh another family connection it's like oh there's a heritage in this family which like we don't really know much about the grandparents the great grand you know just so much unknown and um, she she sort of hails back to the Isaiah 9 passage that we're in which is mm-hmm. part of the hyperlink to Magnificat Luke 1 is the Isaiah 9, 6 title of Messiah as mighty God because she calls God the mighty one who's done great things for her mm-hmm. and, and calls his name holy. And so the, the fact that she sort of employs um, a Messiah title to God when she's praying out about receiving his son, Isaiah 9, 6, reception of the one who's coming. So it's it's this intersection of like this prophetic utterance from Isaiah thousands of years ahead of time that one is coming who will, who will be the rightful king, who will carry the government on his shoulders. He will be a child. He will be born to you. And his name is called Mighty God. And then she 
in her prophetic worship entitles God the Mighty One. It's a very interesting hyperlink to the two, um, Isaiah and Mary, in these moments of receiving what God is doing. Yeah. Mm. And, like, if Mary's so awesome, why isn't she more people's favorite character? I have a thought. Okay. Get it thunk. Get it out there. Okay. Um, I think that traditionally the Catholic Church elevates Mary to the status of saint. Yeah. And the, like, Protestant Reformation and all of the um, repercussions might, might sound like a negative word, but all of the things... Help me out, guys. My brain is uh, starting to get fried. Not repercussions, but all of the... Consequences. Yeah, but that still feels negative. All of the results. Okay. That, anyway. There you go. That's PC word. Yeah. Results. Results that came out of the Protestant Reformation was a lot of it had a, had harsh reactions to the way that the Catholic Church were setting things up. And I mm-hmm. think that something happened. My, my hunch is something happened there where the elevation of Mary to the status, status of a saint caused the Protestant movement to de-emphasize Mary to the point that we don't really touch her with a 10-foot pole at the risk of sounding Catholic, at risk of elevating her to a status that's greater than us but less than Jesus. And I think that with every character in the Bible, there is something to be learned about the way that they engage with, learn from, and walk with God, both from a level of admiration and from a level of like learning opportunity. I think each character that you extract from the scriptures, they are going to be human and therefore there are going to be things about them that we can learn about the relationship with God. And there are also the things about them that are so human, sinful, fleshly. And so I think that there's a little bit of a hesitancy to emphasize Mary in the Protestant church at risk of sounding like we're elevating her to a status greater than us. I think that God chooses her just like he chooses others. I think there's a mixture of not because of who she is, but because of who God is. And there's a, there's a faithfulness. Like it, she even acknowledges that she has fa- found favor with God. Yeah. And even the angel Gabriel alludes to that as well. Like there is a, a level of favor that God is displaying upon Mary to choose her to give birth to the Messiah, Mm -hmm. but it's not because she's more than human. It's also not because she's less than human, but I think it's because of who God is, how he works, maybe even some prophetic fulfillment, who she's connected to. There's like um, the lineage of Aaron that's being alluded Mm -hmm. to in connection, I think through Joseph. Yeah. Um, So, you know, there's like some Old Testament hinges that are really important to understanding maybe why her in particular. But I think that we hesitate from studying her in depth because we don't want to sound Catholic. Yeah, definitely. It's like we we throw out the baby with the Mm bathwater kind of thing. Like she she actually says she'll be venerated. So I'm using that word because venerate sounds to us like a bad it has the overtones mm-hmm. of like oh no we only venerate jesus can you can you explain venerate i don't know if venerate i venerate is vocabulary. like uh someone that holds like a, a high respect someone you look to Kay. that you want to honor okay um but we venerate people all the time um but you're right it's like but we're afraid of a certain kind of veneration and and not like with you know that it's a completely unfounded right. desire to not do the wrong kind of renovation uh, veneration yeah I wonder if a part of it as well is like if you ask an average person to name like 10, um, what's a, what's a one? We're just like amazing women of the Bible. Uh, but, but sometimes like the women we remember are like, oh yeah, uh, Jezebel, she's really famous. But I mean like <laughs> positive role models and li- like the, like people who are not just, oh, that was a cool part of the story, but someone who God's using to display like, man, this is what I can do with humanity. Mm-hmm. Most people will struggle to name 10 mm. because we have a very like male centric filter for how we teach the scriptures, apply the scriptures and mm-hmm. what, what we remember from the scriptures. And so... Um, yeah, I, I think that's a factor as well, mm. maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, I mean, we haven't really tied this up, but <laughs> just for a couple of minutes, 
this all has something to do with the mightiness of God, <laughs> right? For Mary to be this person, act this way, um, shows that she appreciates God is mighty. Um, so you guys thought about this for a couple of weeks to do the teaching. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what's like what's the quick summary of like the 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 type of thing she needs to really appreciate and take to heart and how it really shapes her ability to be who she is when this happens. What do you think? So one of the things that was brought out um, by Molly in the teaching was that the the title Magnificat was put on the text because of the word that Mary says when she says that her soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord when she hears this news. And so really what we're talking about here is saying this is a, a heavy burden for her to bury, mm. to bear, bury. And she decides that she's going to magnify the Lord in the midst of a, what would be a difficult plight for her. I mean, she's stepping into something very difficult. And so we were talking, Molly's particularly bringing out the idea that what you magnify is what gets biggest. And so mm-hmm. when you magnify your problem, that becomes the thing that's big. But when you see something difficult and you choose to magnify God, then he overshadows the problem. And so in her choosing to magnify the Lord for this great honor, which also came with the burden, is a a way in which you look at the issues and temptations and difficulties we all face in life, as Mary did, and you say, but God is mighty, El Gabor, and when I make much of God... And I don't make oh I don't make so much of my difficult circumstances. Then I can then see the thing that I'm looking at differently. And so I, you know, Molly brought up like it's not that we're asking people or believing that we should stuff things like pretend like you're not in the middle of a difficult season. Yeah, or that, that it's not hard. But it's not divine. Put your head in the sand. Yeah, but yeah. magnify God over that rather than instead of that or spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like magnifying God isn't like, oh, I'm just going to do like positive reinforcement of my positive emotions or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I'm not interested in how things really are, but I'm just going to try to force myself to think positive. Like actually God being mighty is not just positive thinking, it's it's reality. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's a reality that is diminished in our... Um, I, I guess, like, in the moment when something happens, you know, like, what what are our emotional and cognitive reflexes of, like, the things that are going to come to mind to equip us to, like, process how to respond? Um, mm-hmm. And that, that immediately makes... It, this is just interesting because I was praying with someone on Sunday um, and I could hear you guys teaching in the background, right? And, um, yeah, just talking to someone who's having a really hard time um, and... But uh, it's cool. Anna and I got to pray with them as a couple. and But we were talking about how they need to um, set some habits of, like, preparatory magnification. Hmm. And so they actually went home uh, and visited a stream and got some rocks out to write on some of the, like, good things that God's promised and been telling them um, so that, you know, in the moment they're tangibly there for them but we also talked about the like remedial magnification like in that moment of feeling like i just feel like i'm a tailspin like i'm i i'm being buffeted by all the spiritual warfare and the questions and the circumstances of like i actually need someone to sit down with me and help me think through like what's actually true of god that i need to Mm. think about right in Mm -hmm. this moment you know and so it's an interesting like spectrum of when you think mm. about magnifying God, I think of like God saying stuff like, hey, we're going to cross the Jordan and we're going to get some stones out. And we're going to set them up and remember, hey, look what God did here, you know. Um, so it's but but then it's um, I mean, e- even like Isaiah's ministry, you know, calling the nation to to look forward. At, you know, what do you really think God's going to do? Like, what do you really want to happen next? Like, what's God actually said? And how should that shape how we should be right now, you know? Mm-hmm. So it can be so past, so future. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting set of things. And you guys came up with some questions to help, um, I guess, like, encourage us to ask the right questions to, like, pick at 
that that spectrum of mm-hmm. things that equips us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, I guess the hope is that we would. Um, well, I guess it's a twofold thing, actually. I guess there's a skill in when you realize, hang on, I'm not living in reality right now. How do I get it back? Mm-hmm. So maybe like learning that skill to magnify God, but also maybe building up our reserves. So if like Thursday morning something crappy happens, mm-hmm. we're not in that moment just unaware of how great God is, but we've actually been sort of, that's a voice that's been Mm-hmm. you know whispering in our ear all along and so you know we can be aware of it mm-hmm. um and so you guys got to ask the questions but now we could we could take 10 minutes to you know uh think through how like how uh, people learn from us basically like how we might do it mm-hmm. um suggestions we have so the first one is what are you magnifying mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really easy one. Like you can sit there Sunday morning and be like, yeah, I'm looking forward to going home and watching a Seahawks game. And, uh, well, maybe not the Seahawks this season. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but, but you know, like you can be aware in the moment of like your priorities for the day and think, oh, yeah, what am I magnifying? Mm-hmm. And so you get, I think it's really easy on a Sunday morning to have that moment where you're like, oh, yeah, I should think about that. But then how do you, like, what do you actually do to take inventory of what you're magnifying? Because that seems like I may occasionally be aware and convicted, like, oh, I'm making a big deal of that. Maybe I shouldn't. Or hmm, I'm not making a big deal and I ought to, you know. Mm-hmm. But is there is there anything that can help us if we felt like that's a big question for me yeah. to actually kind of walk through that question? Yeah, I think something that um, is almost like step one in order to set you you up well to be able to answer this question, or maybe even if you're talking about like the reserves question of like, how, how does this become like a part of how I live my life so mm. that I'm not reactionary to circumstances. And again, we see this modeled well in Mary, but in order to ask or take the next step from what are you magnifying to, am I magnifying the Lord? You need to know who God is and you find that through scripture. Mm-hmm. So I think starting with, having a daily devotional reading habit of reading the scriptures uh, and discovering who God is, his character, his nature, what he has done for his people in the past, acknowledging what he's doing in the present and being expectant to what he does in the future. You know, one of the points that we made on Sunday was that Mary draws on a previous reality of God's mercy in the past and allows it to shape her present. She's only able to do that because she knows the scripture so well. So I'd say like a a non-negotiable habit, and I don't say that in like a um, legalistic black and white way, but I say it in a, if you you want life to the full, leaning into flourishing Mm -hmm. and all that God has for you, meditating on the scriptures daily in order to be able to, when you magnify God, magnify the truth of his character being saturated in the scriptures is something that can set you up for the reserves when you're having a a just a gosh awful day to be able to draw back on the previous reality of who god is and allow it to shape your presence so i would say that would be number one i love that because it's not just about sort of technically knowing abstractly that these things are true Mm -hmm. it's about personalizing them Mm -hmm. and i I guess like an analogy it's like a terrible season to talk about the seahawks but now they're in my head so russell wilson's the example uh of like you know i could go up to someone and be like oh isn't russell wilson amazing you know and they'll be like well who's he and then i show you a video of like man look at this throw and you're like yeah i guess that's kind of amazing but you have no context for like what it meant to the game to the season like to the you know so you you have no context for it being enriched in mm-hmm. any way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like the difference between knowing like, oh, um, you know, God supplies all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I've memorized the verse kind of. Yeah, I remember that. But then being able to wrap some story around it of like, um, what does that look like? What does it feel like when God does that? Mm-hmm. What, what happens in your soul when you can't and you rely on God and he actually comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a knowing the scriptures, but um, it's allowing the, the scriptures to intertwine with our reality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because that that's when then when the next event happens the scriptures might pop out as like oh hang on i think god's truth has something to say about this moment mm-hmm. or yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah it's a uh, that's an that's an interesting one mm-hmm. um i was i was going to say like i think the scriptures are like a f- such a foundational mm-hmm. piece as well um but it's I just, I'm aware sometimes of talking to people who know a lot of scripture. They've sat in a lot of Bible studies, they've memorized lots, and all of those are good things, mm-hmm. but they haven't quite connected it with themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really hard to, mag- like magnifying is like a worship response. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's like the difference. Like if I, you know, I, I watch a, a video of Russell Wilson doing the amazing throw and Molly watches it. Well, assume doesn't really watch much football. No, there you go. I've never asked you that question, but I know you a little bit, so mm. there we go. I was right. Um, you might still be able to be like, oh yeah, like I can see that's amazing athleticism, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you're not going to jump around the cheering because mm-hmm. it there's nothing at stake for you mm-hmm. in that claim. Mm-hmm. And we've got to turn the scriptures into claims that we don't just venerate as technically true, mm-hmm. but actually we feel like there's something at stake in our either treating it as true or not mm-hmm. you know yeah. what's what's something for you brian with this like what are you mag- actually your first your, your t- first two questions are really similar like w- what are you magnifying and where's your attention so i'll like i'll broaden it to those two but what's something for you that's like a how if you're like if you were sat there on sunday and felt like pricked in your spirit like oh yeah i need to think about that yeah, what, what would help you go away and do something about it my problem is words. I magnify something by what I talk about. Mm. And um, I have to be careful with how I talk about life when it's difficult because I'll find the word economy. If all my words are being recorded, um, especially when something heavy rolls over my life, it's really easy to dictate how I magnify what I'm magnifying by what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and this text in Luke one is full of gratitude. Mm. And I know mm. for me, that's been something God has asked me to practice daily gratitude. And, you know, it's, it's amazing when you can make a list of what's wrong with your life and you can make a list of what's good. Um, you, you could make equally long lists and it, when those lists start to like compare in length, then I realize I need to start with gratitude and I need to choose to just speak better because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also hearing, I'm empowering lies or empowering truth by how I talk. And, um, you know, for me, that's a big conviction to see the level of gratitude that Mary had. And I mean, she's grateful for a lot of things. I was just reading again through it and all the things that she's grateful for. She, one of the things is that God would be even mindful of this humble state of this servant girl. Yeah. So she recognizes that just for God to notice me. Um, and then she brings up things like how God feeds hungry people. And so she starts to get down to like on Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. She gets down to like the basics. Like, mm-hmm. And I had a friend tell me like when you, when you start with gratitude, sometimes you may not have something grand to talk about, but you can talk about a warm house and things that you appreciate, a, a wife that loves you and is stuck with you this long, or, you yeah. know, healthy body or things like that. And I know for me to magnify is, is as simple as trying to control my words, um, mm. my, my, my proclivity to be negative, um, because I do feel like my negativity or being grateful deeply impacts I mean, to me, that's some, that's the clearest reflection of how I'm magnifying is yeah. what am I talking about? I love that. I, it reminds me of James talking about the power of our words to shape our and and the people around us, which is then like, oh, that's heavy. Like I could be, you know, bringing others down as well. I love that. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting, like what God's doing in our community. Like Crooksy felt like God really wanted to say some stuff about gratitude. And here we are, you know, just mm-hmm. how it all joins together. And it's interesting, I, it's like, I, I want to highlight something you said I think it's really important about, like, what we think is gratitude worthy. Because, like, our culture is, like, um, not many people are on Instagram posting, like, oh, like, my clothes still don't have holes in this morning. 
my house, you know, just like normal things, um, whatever they are, uh, we we tend to think things are attention worthy when they're out of the ordinary or surprising or like attention grabbing in some way, you know, and um, and our expectation of life, it, you know, the what the Bible lays out is we probably should have quite a lot on both lists. Things where we're like, man, God, I'm concerned. I want to pray. I want to ask you to provide. I want you to do something. And things where we're like, wow, God's like out ahead of it. He's taking care of it or he's answered my prayer or, you know. But there's something about the filters, like the cultural filters we have for what what matters to how our life is going, where we find it easier to populate the negative list and harder to populate the positive list, which is a really interesting, like you talk about getting in tune with reality, like allowing scripture. I mean, even just like the Magnificat, the things you're noticing, but I bet you could look all over the scriptures at people's prayers, at people's worship and be like, what are the things God's people typically notice? And I bet having food and having clothing and having, you know, I bet those things come up a lot more than we would think. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a good encouragement for us to allow scripture to provoke something in us there, which if we're doing like you're saying, Molly, meditating on it is mm -hmm. going to help us become healthier, more balanced. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the last question? This was a really, I want you to explain uh, where this is coming from. So the question was, will you trust before you get the answer? Mm -hmm. So it seems like uh, there's two ways you could go wrong. One would be to fail to trust before you get the answer. But another side was like, well, I'll, I'll trust once I see something happening or once mm -hmm. I see some traction or something. Mm -hmm. Was it one in particular or both of those or, or maybe more that you were sort of thinking yeah. to, to warn people about with this question? I think the warning comes from acknowledging maybe a reality on both sides of what you've articulated. The, the primary temptation in humanity is um, to maybe engage in trust once you've seen evidence of it being worthy of tr of being trusted in and i think that we are very um we've got a short attention span and a short ability to be able to remember so it's it's not like oh i've seen god work in the past and therefore i'm going to trust again in the present it's each and every moment we're like well, I'm not seeing something happen, so it's having I'm having a hard time trusting it. So it's a yeah. warning against trying to fill in the gaps and not try to create the answer for yourself or try to jump out ahead of, of who God is and what he's doing. And then it's also, I think, a, a warning as well of, um, help me out, what was the second part of your uh, when observation? You, uh, you, you're like, well, I'll trust once I see something happening once i see some traction yeah, you know? yeah yeah i think i think that there's i think acknowledging humanity in that of like i'm able to draw upon even if if the the traction that i see is the character of god being revealed in my circumstances even if he hasn't come through on what i've asked him to or come through on mm -hmm. what he has promised i think that th that's that's healthy so i i think the warning has a lot more to do with uh trying to jump out ahead of what God is leading, what God has promised and what God is doing and trying to fill in the gaps yourself by magnifying yourself, your circumstances. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the will you trust before you see the answer has risk of being shame inducing if we're, if we're maybe asking it the wrong way. The, the hope is not to say, will you trust before you see the answer? The only right answer is yes. It's more of like an emotional inventory answer mm. of maybe are you trusting having not seen yeah, the good. answer. So that, bring, that brings me to my, my next question sure. you made me think of, and you can both answer, but I'm just, your head's in this space. So we'll start with you, Molly. Like, so if, cause trust is uh, it's like a verb. It's mm -hmm. like something we can do. Like uh, I'm at crossroads. I can act a or B like mm -hmm. I can do two things. Mm -hmm. And maybe I feel like, man, I, I should trust God. So I should do a, or I can strive in the flesh or do B. So mm -hmm. I, we're aware of those types of things. But I'm thinking more, we may not be at a crossroads moment, but we may have listened to that thinking about mighty God, thinking about Mary, mm -hmm. and then think, hmm, am I in a place of trust? Like, am I like the zone, like emotional, spiritual zone I'm inhabiting? Mm -hmm. Am I inhabiting a zone of trust? Mm -hmm. Or 
do I inhabit a space of like self-reliance or reliance on the world or like other things? Mm -hmm. And I know that I know the trust zones over there and I can go there if I need to. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's sometimes Christians are like, oh, yeah, I have faith. I trust God. I know I know the zone and I can go there if I really need to. It's like I can go for prayer if there's an emergency. Um, so So I guess the question is, like, what does it feel like to be in the place of trust? to be in the zone like what what are some of the markers that for you help you tell like am i am i in a good place trust wise mm. or am i in a bad place yeah i think from an emotional perspective uh i try to make an effort to be emotionally in tuned with the things that are coming up in my heart because they're often like signals on a dashboard in a car mm. so i might i def i not i might i definitely don't know what's going on beneath the hood of an actual car but if there's a light going on i know that maybe there's something that's off uh and so i take note of those lights that might come on in the surface of my yep. heart anxiety being one of them of like if i'm constantly preoccupied um over a certain area of life that has not sorted itself out yet. It's a, a, a light on the dashboard that says mm-hmm. I have a f- far more self-reliance and need for control than I do trust. Yeah. Um, I love that analogy. It's, it is. A, it's a helpful one. I, I didn't like come that. up with it. Full disclosure, but, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll some, put a credit in the notes. Yeah, it's fine. Some famous psychologist. Yeah. But I, I think it could be like practices or like habits. That like I know for me, one I've learned after 20 years of marriage is like if I'm being snappy with Anna and she's having to say, stop being mean, mm-hmm. that's like a check engine light coming on. Yes. Like I need to think. Why am I being snappy? Uh, I've just, I've done it enough times where I've been like, well, you're the problem because of this. And then after a while being like, no, that really wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. But now I'm trying to develop a, a habit of actually what light has gone in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And not be fooled mm-hmm. into thinking it's something it's not. Mm-hmm. What about what about you? Oh, sorry, no. Molly took a oh, breath. No, but no, Brian. Like, what stuff for you helps you tell whether you're kind of in the zone, the trust zone, or feeling like you're out of it? <laughs> uh, um. So when I when I was a kid, my dad, the way he taught us to swim, was um, he would get in the pool with us and he'd hold us, and then he'd let go. Yeah, but he's right there. Yeah, and we would freak out. But and he would look at us in the eyes and be like, I'm just, I'm here, I got you. And then he would grab us. And, and you know, obviously it went on that way for a while. And I was thinking about that with God. Um, it's hard to trust God in the pool mm-hmm. when you know you can't touch the bottom, when you're not close to him. Mm. And there's really no way to be intimate with God unless you spend time. I mean that's that's what just what you got to do. You you can't build trust with an unknown entity. Yeah. So knowing mm-hmm. the person that had me in the water helped me go. It's like when Peter was like, "Lord, if it's you, I'll come out." Why would I get out of a boat and go onto a stormy sea unless I trusted the person on the water? And and for me, the only way that that I can. I guess check whether or not I'm in trust zone is if if I'm regularly spending time with God, mm. um, and and for me, um, I've been reading some Ignatius, um, Father Ignatius, and he has this way of talking about the the condition of your soul, where he he uses the word consolation and desolation, and consolation is when you're fully wrapped up, and, and he calls it the good spirit when you're you're just you know that you're in your relationship with God. You feel close, you feel love, you feel joy, you feel like you know God. Mm-hmm. And then desolation is the opposite. He calls it the bad spirit. When you feel distant, like you're not feeling like God's got you, you don't feel confident in him and his nearness. And the only way for me to go from desolation to consolation, which I call consolation the place of trust for me, is I have to have a daily rhythm of being able to be alone with God. Um, and I, there's things that that trigger my trust that I have to do in the morning. Um, and if I don't start that way, my whole day's off. It's mm-hmm. like it's like you know my directional compass for the day. Then I'm not I'm off true north, and then I can feel the rest of my day, especially my word economy and my thinking, reflects the fact that I didn't spend the morning in consolation. Yeah. So for me, it's a first. First thing in the morning. Thing. Yeah, you have to set the tone, and and I have to be quiet. For me, it's being quiet. I'm not. Mm. I'm, I'm not naturally a, a calm, quiet person. 
and my my brain's always going, my yeah. mouth's always going. My observation, like, mine's always like the last one at the party. Yeah, <laughs> so still there, still to talking. Be still, for me, is, is is something that it does bring me into a place of relational trust. Mm. Um, so that when we get into the water and he lets go, or I think he's let go, you know, he, he's letting me figure it out. I can say I trust the one who's on the water. I know he's here because I spent some time with him. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's it. It's relational proxy to God, yeah. um, and figuring out how to get there. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not as easy as it sounds. Yeah, and yet it's simple. But you got to do it. Yeah, I love that. It's such a good litmus test. Like going back to the swimming analogy, you know, if you uh, were only interested in uh, being in the water where you could touch the bottom, or you're not even interested in being in the pool, then you know you're not invested in relating to that person who wants to teach you to swim like there's a there's just an aspect of relationship that you're you're not invested in and it it's going to grow weak so if if there's not much motivation in you to talk to god about stuff ask god things find out more about him you know just to to have that intimacy then yeah that could be a a signal that maybe there's not much trusting going on at the moment um yeah could sort of signal something so then, million dollar question, just to get like a, a little bit of like uh, where to exit this podcast from if you've listened this far. If you sense, hmm, I don't feel like I'm in the trust zone like I should be, mm-hmm. what can you do to help rediscover it, re-engage it? Like are there habits that help you? And you already kind of answered this, Brian, with like the way you set up your days. So that's a really good practical one. But I feel like I didn't really ask you that question, Molly, of like something that if you just yeah, yeah. find yourself in that distant place, yeah, that, I th- that helps re-engage that trust muscle again. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I like what Brian said. I think that, that is, those are like daily habits. I, I'll throw in a, maybe a weekly habit. So this is something that I try to do on Sabbath, which by the way, that's a whole nother thing. If you, I think practicing Sabbath opens us up to acknowledging the reality that God is God. We are not, we can declare freedom from work. We are Mm. not enslaved to work and it puts God in a proper place. Like it's a, uh, a way to orient your calendar on magnifying God over and against magnifying yourself. So just an aside, but that's not what I was trying to say. So practice Sabbath. But on my, yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, during my Sabbath, I'm, I make an effort. I don't want to present myself as having it all together. I make an effort to take emotional inventory. Mm. So I ask the questions to engage my heart. And I have to do this because I'm a doer and then a thinker. And then I, I feelings are the last thing that I engage. So I have to incorporate rhythms, knowing myself to actively say like good or bad. What am I feeling right now? What happened this week that is still sitting with me? Questions like that help me to kind of crack open what's underneath the surface of my heart because otherwise my behaviors and the way that I'm treating myself and others will start to be reactionary based on an undealt with, mm-hmm. you know, broken car underneath the hood. And so different questions. So maybe, maybe th- those three questions, good or bad, what am I feeling right now? Is there anything that happened this week that is still sitting with me and Why? Yeah. Like maybe get curious about it. Like, was it because someone said something mean and it made you feel insecure? Was it because you didn't feel like you did your best at work and you're finding value in what you do over and against who God says you are? You know, there's opportunity for curiosity there. And then I take, I I look at a list of all the emotions (laughs) that exist in the world and I what I like look down each one of them and I write down the ones that I'm have felt over Mm. the past week and as much as that sounds maybe like uh, kindergarten for emotional health, yeah. <laughs> like it is so... Sounds un- way more involved than I ever get, so <laughs> I would call that high school level for me. I, but, but truly, like, I think that I can probably say, like, I'm feeling happy, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling angry. Those are, like, those big categories. Yeah. But there's nuance, to, and language is super helpful to bring light to what I actually felt. I was actually feeling resentment. Yeah. I wasn't outburst in anger. I was just... Uh, maybe like a little bit angry all the time that day. Uh, So I think taking emotional inventory 
in addition, not instead of, because I think that, that taking emotional inventory once a week is different than doing it every single day. You, you could probably travel into like a navel gazing, like self help yeah. mode if you were doing something like that every single yeah. day. That's not the goal. Yeah. But the goal is to be able to acknowledge that God has made you to be an emotional being. He created emotions. They're not necessarily good or bad, but what we do with them affects the way that mm-hmm. we see, feel, live, engage with the world. Yeah, I, and I love that you pointed out that you're the doer because you're one of the most, I think, emotionally uh, aware people I know. It's and nice yet you would say that doesn't come easy to me. No. So for all of you listening who actually are like, I am I would describe myself as uh, uh, emotionally growth stunted <laughs> in so many ways, uh, that's hope for us. Like mm-hmm. that's a practice that's mm-hmm. grown something that didn't come naturally. So I think that's really key. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask as well, like for you on a Sabbath day, mm-hmm. um, is this just like I grab a coffee and do some thoughtful time? Does it join up with like some prayer time or journaling time? Like... Mm-hmm. what helps you to do something with your observations yes. of yourself? I have to write it down. It's so hard for me to keep those things in my head since it's already feeling like a, a, a stretch practice, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, and uh, like, I I don't want this to sound weird, but I, I, don't, I feel like I'm always doing it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is someone who is able to <laughs> like bring light to the things that I wouldn't necessarily yeah. just be able to discover on so my own. So it kind of intertwines with prayer. Mm-hmm. It's not like mm-hmm. something you do before you pray or something you do after you yeah. pray. It's just you're aware of maybe mm-hmm. allowing God yes, to, to speak highlight into something. It. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, you know, a, another way that if you feel a little bit more comfortable uh, with the question of like, what is still, what's what happened this week that is still sitting with me? Asking God, can you bring to mind anything that uh, impacted me this week that I might not be remembering. Like, I think there's opportunity to engage with and invite God into that process. Mm -hmm. I think, and I don't mean to say this in a, um, I've figured it all out way, but I think it's become a little bit more second nature to me now to just have God there with me. But I think there's ways to... And that's a huge thing to point out because lots of these things, doing a new practice is Mm -hmm. like learning a new skill. Mm -hmm. Like no one enjoys learning to play piano for the first week or, you know, it just, it it can be hard. Mm -hmm. You have to get over the hump of learning Mm -hmm. the skill Mm -hmm. and to see the fruit sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. That's lots. Mm -hmm. Really practical. Um, And uh, just like one last thought for me was thinking, you know, sometimes when we leave the trust zone, we lean into our culture's voice that says, when you're totally self-dependent, you're safe. And so Mm -hmm. we can tend to live in that unreality in our Mm -hmm. perspective Mm -hmm. and seek that unreality in in our our narrative of our life. And if you find yourself in that zone and you're like, oh, that's how I feel. Um, Like, and and I guess it's that like, uh, what would it look like to extend trust um, it, again, the Instagram effect would be like, what big thing can I trust God for? Um, I guarantee you, if you ask God, um, and if you feel really far from him, pray with someone, ask together, like, God, where's somewhere I can be trusting you right now? Mm-hmm. He will have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it probably won't be a massive big thing. Yeah, It'll probably be like, whatever is the next step that he can lead you in. Uh, because trust and love are so intimately connected. Mm-hmm. So God, like he actually has a strategy for your life where he's looking for opportunities to draw you into trust mm-hmm. because he loves you. Mm-hmm. So God is always going to have an answer to that question. And sometimes it's, if you've grown distant, easy to feel like, I just don't see where I can trust God right now. And I just, I know it can feel that way. Mm-hmm. I know I've had like, like just bad bits of my story. And I've just, I know I felt that way sometimes. Um, but then I have discovered, like if I ask that question though, God always has an answer. Mm-hmm. And so don't you know, be led by the truth there, not by your feelings. Cause your feelings might be a reflection of the, the unreality you've spoke, like to say like Brian's words thing, like you've spoken over yourself yeah. so much yeah. that you've created. Yep. Um, so don't, yeah, don't be discouraged if you feel that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Go lean into mighty God. Who have we got next week? Everlasting Father, right? Mm-hmm. Tim. Tim and company. Father. Tim and Co. Tim and Everlasting Father next time. Fathers. And we hope, yeah, hope Advent is 
just drawing you into this amazing part of God's story and you're enjoying it. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.